you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from the Chris Voss Show. Come the Chris Voss Show.com. Hey, we're. Uh, we're excited to have you guys come tune in the show. We've got a most excellent author. And, of course, we have, I mean, you might have heard this a couple times when you've been on the show. We have all the greatest authors in the world on the show. We just put it in the Google machine and we say, uh, hey, what are the uh, most brilliant authors? And only the most brilliant authors show up on the show. The ones who aren't brilliant, they don't show up on the show. So just keep that in mind when you're on Amazon.com forward slash shop forward slash Chris Foss. Seeing all the great books and ordering them there, you can do that as well. Uh, so welcome to the show, folks. Uh, you can also go to thecbpn.com or for your sh- uh, friends, neighbors, relatives, online podcast to see the video version of the show. You can go to youtube.com forward slash Chris Foss, hit the bell notification button. Uh, also find me on Goodreads. You can see the different reviews we put up for books that we read and uh, some of the books that we're currently reading. Some of, a lot of the people that are on the show are on there as well. Uh, and also we have a book club we're trying to build over there. So find me on, under Chris Foss at goodreads.com you can find the show's newest syndication amazon music you can find the podcasts on there as well today we have a most excellent guest with us she is the author of the book and a multitude of books we'll talk about cassandra speaks when women are the storytellers the human story changes Elizabeth Lesser is on the show. Uh, Let me go through her bio real quick here. She is the author of several best-selling books, including Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow and Morrow, Love, Loss, and What Matters the Most. Her newest book, Cassandra Speaks, is uh, released uh, September 15th. This brand new just came out. She's a co-founder of Omega Institute, recognized internationally for its workshops and conferences in wellness, spirituality, creativity, and social change. She's given two popular TED Talks and is one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100. There you go. A collection of 100 leaders who are using their voices and talent to elevate humanity, which is what we love to do here on the show. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm very good. I'm really happy to be with you. Thanks I'm for having me. i with you, too. I mean, yeah, Oprah Winfrey Super Soul 100. Oh, my gosh. We're going to learn a lot today, aren't we? Um, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully we do. So you've got this wonderful book. Give us the plugs on your uh, internet places.coms where people can find you. Yeah, my own website is elizabethlesser.org. My organization, Omega Institute, is uh, e, the letter E, omega.org. That's where you can find me in Facebook and Instagram and all those things. Awesome. So uh, what motivated you want to write this book? You've written several books. Can you tell us how many exactly? Uh, this is my fourth. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, my first book, The Seeker's Guide, um, I was aware from this conference center and retreat center that I lead, um, or used to, I co-founded, um, you know, like for thousands of years, religion kept people 
uh, able to search for some sort of meaning about what the heck are we doing here as human beings. But as religion, especially in America, began to lose its grip, although you may not know that at the moment, um, this new kind of American spirituality is what I called it, uh, diverse, democratic, this idea that we don't have to adhere to a religion to be uh, self-aware, good human beings. So my first book, The Seeker's Guide, was about that. How do you have, quote-unquote, spiritual life without religion? And uh, second book, Broken Open, is about how it seems for us human beings, difficult times is what helps us grow. We have to go through traumas to change our intractable, bizarre behavior. We all do that, you know. Before my cancer, I was a jerk. Before my divorce, I didn't know how to be with the opposite sex, uh, you know. So that's what that book's about. My third book, Marrow, I was my sister's bone marrow donor. And um, we used it as an opportunity not just to become close through our blood, but also to become closer as friends. It's about that journey we took. And then this last book, um, Cassandra Speaks, is about the lack of women's values and voices throughout the ages. I went back into the ancient myths, the Bible stories, starting with Eve, how women were second born but first to sin. And that kind of sticks to women and men and the way we think about who women are. I wanted to unpack those stories and imagine what it would have been like if there'd been other storytellers involved. So, uh, so you write in the book several different stories, and you kind of you kind of take this uh, sort of thinking apart, right? In the well, give us an overview of what it what what, what the stories are in the book. Well, um, the book's divided into three parts. The first I call origin stories, and so obviously some of the origin stories that have formed the way we think as a human culture are Bible stories, Greek myths some of our earliest literature, and then more uh, modern literature, movies, just the story. You know, humans learn through stories. That's how we learn parables and uh, hero journey stories. We learn what it means to be a valid human being through stories. Second part of the book, I go into the story of power and kind of the formative books and ways we think about what does it mean to be a powerful person? What is power anyway? How do you get it? How do you use it? And the last part of the book I call Writing Brave New Endings, and it's a toolbox of ways of strengthening our voices. This is primarily for women, but I know a lot of men who have enjoyed the book too. Yeah, it seems like a really interesting book as I went through it. I like the toolbox at the end, too, because you get, you not only lay the foundation with the stories and everything, but you give people, it's like, here's 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 how to make this work. So uh, how about if we start off with the title, uh, Cassandra Speaks. There's a story behind this. Do you want to tell us more about that? Yeah. Um, Cassandra, I didn't really know much about Cassandra until I, until I started researching, and um, it's stuck in me so much, it, I made it the title of the book. Cassandra was the most beautiful princess 
in ancient Greece uh, in Troy, and Troy and Greece were enemies, and Cassandra was the most eligible princess, and all the dudes were after her, including the gods. Zeus was after her, king of the gods, and Zeus's son, Apollo. And Apollo wooed her by promising her uh, the gift of clairvoyance, that she'd be able to see into the future, predict the future. And she wanted that. I, I'd like that. If somebody promised me that, I'd say, okay. But he didn't uh, tell her that what went along with that was he, he was going to have sex with her. And so she accepted the gift, and then she w didn't want to have sex with him. So he was furious. And as the story goes, he spat in her mouth a curse. And that was, you will still be clairvoyant. I'm not going to take it away from you. But no one will believe will believe your predictions. And so she did predict everything. She predicted the Trojan War. She predicted all of her family dying. She predicted the sacking of her city and the destruction of her land. And nobody believed her. And it drove her crazy. It drove her mad at the end of the story. And I blame her. I'd be mad too. Yeah, well, that's why a lot of women are mad. Um, and as I was writing the book, it was uh, right in the middle of the Me Too uprising. Mm -hmm. And I decided to call the book Cassandra Speaks after I watched the televised trial of all the young athletes who had been abused by um, Dr. Larry Nasser. You know, all the gymnasts, including many Olympic gymnasts who for years had told their parents and their coaches and the U.S. Olympic Committee, this guy is abusing us, hundreds of them, and no one believed them. And then at the trial, which they televised, the um, wonderful judge, Judge Aquilina, she allowed each girl to tell her story, 125 young women, told their story, and she made... Uh, the doctor listened to each one. And it was to me that these Cassandras were speaking and they were being heard and they were being believed. And that became the core of the book for me. Is the mistake in, you know, I remember watching that and the extraordinary thing was how long it went on and so many victims. And is, is the, so is the issue um, that you talk about in the book is that we don't listen to women individually as enough or do more women need to um, come together as, as, and, and speak out as one? Because that's what really happened with, that's what really pushed the Me Too movement was enough people came out with their horror stories. And, uh, and I was surprised by it too as a man because I don't approach things maybe in the same way. Uh, even though I've dated a lot of them a lot of my life, I don't, I don't send pictures to women. I don't, I, I guess I have some weird thing. If I want to go out on with a girl on a date, I ask her on a date. If she says, no, that's it. Um, but, uh, but maybe it's cause I've dated so many women that I kind of just, and I know, you know, there's certain things you don't talk about or do to women and stuff. But you know, when we saw the, when I saw the monsters coming out with, you know, all the different ugly things that people were doing, I was just like, wow. And so them speaking out as a group helps. So I'm sorry, I went a little long on the tooth, but, back to my original answer, her question was, um, is it an individual thing or is it a group thing or both? Maybe, I don't know. I think it's both. And I think it's complicated. 
I don't think it's a black and white thing. All women good, all men bad, or all women have been oppressed, all men are oppressors. That's not what the book is about. What I'm more interested in is that the values that our culture has put forward as these are the values to follow have mostly been created by men um, because men have been the leaders, whether it's because of biology and kind of the brawny nature and the domineering spirit and women being in the home, taking care of the kids, or maybe it's estrogen and testosterone. It doesn't really matter to me anymore the why of it. I feel women have something in our makeup, in our hearts, our priorities that the world needs now. We've had thousands of years of male-dominated leadership. Some of it's been great and cool and wonderful, inventive, and, uh, you know, we got so much from that. But it's sort of, in my opinion, run its course, and we need a more inclusive, gentler, kinder definition of what leadership and power mean. And I feel women have that in us. And it's time for um, that to be equally valued. And that's why I'm interested in women becoming leaders, not just so we can have 50-50. It's, I'm interested in what we have inside of us, bringing it out, no longer having it be like, well, that's good in the kindergarten classroom or the nurse. But no, I want to dignify what women carry inside of us. And I would agree with you. I think men can learn a lot from women because uh, you guys do a lot of things right, and we're kind of messed up in our own little world. There's a reason <laughs> we're kind of different is the the anime and, and, and what we what we bring to um, – what we bring to, I guess, Mother Nature is is a difference there. But there's definitely benefits we can learn from each other. And I remember years ago, I saw, I went to this play, and it's a famous play that's chewed around, and it's about the cavemen and cave women thing. You know, the hunter gatherer sort of experience. Right. And I think, like you say, there was probably a reason in medieval times or or, or earlier times when we lived in a society where maybe there were certain roles that were necessary. I mean, certainly you couldn't send women into battle with swords and 50 pounds of, of metal gear to fight medieval, whatever, you know, and, and some of that stuff was probably male created also. Yeah. Um, Hello. (laughs) But, but now we live in a very different time and, and we don't have to deal with that. Women can do a lot of stuff that men can do, et cetera. So they always could, but, but, you know, it's, it's, you know, I don't have to worry about my, my girlfriend, you know, being attacked by some medieval mm-hmm. horseman when she goes to the store. You know, I don't have to worry about that as any, like maybe three, four hundred thousand years or whatever. Um, and, but you talk about a lot of have a literature that's, that's, that's out there kind of uh, maybe, maybe pre-programs or, or kind of, it creates walls around women and their expectations that they feel they have to live up to. Like, for instance, Eve in the Bible. Uh, if you want to discuss that. Yeah. Well, with apologies to any Bible literists, literalists listening, I don't know who your audience is. Um, <laughs> uh, Eve, you know, everything was so cool and groovy in the Garden of Eden. It was just Adam and God, and everything was great, 
There was no sickness. There wasn't even death. It was just heaven, paradise, Garden of Eden. And then God went and created woman to be a helpmate for Adam. And everything went downhill. She listened to the snake who said, Oh, no, you can eat that apple. You'll become wise if you eat that apple. You'll, you'll become mature and grown up. Go ahead, eat it. So she did. And that was the end of the Garden of Eden, and they were exiled, and the fall. Everything fell from there. Now, there's lots of heroes in the Bible. There's, there's uh, Noah and Job, and there's uh, Abraham, and there's Jesus. And all of these men actually disobeyed the, the culture. They all went their separate ways. They all left home. They all had to go on the hero's journey, which always includes leaving home, being tested, and then becoming mature and grown up, hopefully, through our problems. Eve is the only protagonist in the Bible who is punished for following that same urge to become wise. I look at Eve as the first grown-up in the garden, Adam was just like, oh, it's cool, I like it here, you know. God's filling the refrigerator, I'm fine. But Eve was like, no, I want to be wise. I want to grow up. So she left, and Adam went with her, and she's punished. And women have, have worn that cloak of born second, first to sin. And there's lots of stories in lots of different cultures where that same trope is laid out. There's something fundamentally untrustworthy about women. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I would agree with you. Um, I, I grew up in, in, uh, in religion, and I always used to ask the question because I was that jerk. I, like at three years old, I was asking questions. Me too. Me people too. were like, people don't like, call it a jerk. You weren't a jerk. You were, you were curious and smart. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and, and I would ask, well, how come the women can't get the priesthood? Like, why not? Because, well, because they need to make quilts. They're the women. And I'm like, but, but like, why? I mean, I used to call it the penis hood because I'm like, basically, that's really the difference as to why they can't have it and we can't and, and we have it. But, but still, like, I don't, I don't see what the big deal is. Like, and they just be like, you know, shut up, have some faith. But at becoming an atheist, you know, and I, I and I'm, I try to be a good atheist. Uh, in fact, I, I, you know, if I ask myself value questions, I go, what would Jesus do? Um, even though I don't believe the Bible is a, is a factual historical record of accuracy. Uh, in fact, if anything, I, I, I adhere to it as a, a fact of fiction, a fact of fiction, but um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> a work of fiction. But, you know, I'm respectful of other people. Look, I understand life is hard and I understand life is challenging if that's what you need to hold on to. Uh, as long as you don't hurt anybody else or push your beliefs on anybody else, rock it. Have fun. Exactly. If that's I'm with long you. you got to hold on to. I'm going to hold on to my atheist. But what I studied from that experience of growing up in religion was the Eve story. And I've spent a lot of time looking at that, uh, probably not as much as you have, but some of it. And, and gone, you know, why is that, why is that story used because i i see a lot of stuff in religion and bibles is there's a lot of good like stuff like positive stuff like you know don't don't steal from people but the eve story it even starts out it even starts out treating eve as a second class citizen and that's what i 
uh, that's why I always call women in religion. I go, you know, religion really treats women, in my opinion, like second-class citizens. And it starts from that thing that man was created first, and then his rib is taken out, you know. So women get left over the residual, which I, is a horrible story, um, <laughs> in my opinion. And then, and then, you know, then there's the Eve story. And, and uh, you know, even talking with some of the religious leaders that we've had on that have written books that have been calling out white nationalism and sexism and some of the different things in the church, racism, they've talked about that. How that Eve story has just been the thing that, you know, they used to beat women over the heads for so many years in religion. And, and like you say, you look at the leaders of religious organizations and they're always men in fact some of them are filled with a lot of gay men which is kind of interesting how they demonize there's a lot of stuff about sex in there and and fear of sex and hatred of sex and hatred of their own body and fear of pleasure and it's 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 not a good worldview if you ask me and as you say some of it's wonderful and beautiful and instructive and i i I don't hate religion. I take the parts I like and uh, try to rewrite the parts I don't because they were made up by people so we can change them and make up whatever we want to guide us. So when little girls grow up and they read that, because this is something I've given thought to, how, how does that, you know, it's kind of like, like if you're like if you're African-American and you watch movies and TV and the good guy is always a white guy, the bad guy is always a black guy. I imagine women see a lot of these stories that you talk about in the book from that angle where they're like, well, I guess everything is my fault. For well, yeah. And even if you don't form formulate it in actual words in your head, even if you think. I wasn't raised on those stories, and I don't believe those stories. I'm free of those stories. No, it's kind of in our DNA, and it does affect girls and women. And, like, it affects us. It, it isn't just a religious thing. Like, if you say to a girl, let's say, wow, you're a little tomboy, girls feel proud. Girl, I was told I was a tomboy as a girl, and I always felt cool about that, you know? But if you tell a boy you're a sissy, you're a mama's boy, what does that make a boy feel like? What would that make you feel like, uh, Chris? It's quite the opposite. We feel offended. We, we, we feel like we need to increase our masculinity. Right. So what does that tell a girl, a little girl, that a boy would never want to be like you, but you'd like to be like a boy? And then it goes on, like, especially if you get into the work world, you got to man up, even as a woman. You, If you go into a meeting and you're frustrated and upset and you cry, that is bad. That can affect your whole job. You have to do like the guys. You have to do the locker talk, room talk. You have to uh, be stoic. you got to swallow it. And that's um, hard for men, but it's really hard for women, especially if... While we stuff our natural inclinations, you're not getting the best of us. The mm -hmm. best of me as a woman, and not all women are like this, but most women, I would say, the best of me has a lot to do with creating community, a feeling of belonging, empowering someone else, not being the person who can't ask for directions or who doesn't want anybody else's opinion. Like, 
Like, look at what's happening in the world now. That the five countries that dealt the best with COVID are all led by women. Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, her TV appearances to her country were so full of vulnerability and requests for help. And we're in this together. It wasn't pitting anyone against anybody else. That is, if a woman can lead from her essential nature, she would do it like Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand. And it's really hard for women who get into leadership positions. You've got to swallow your often your true authenticity. And I think you're right. I mean, there's been a lot of great books written about this. Uh, I think Lean In by uh, the Facebook uh, uh, gal, uh, Sand- Sandra? Sandra? Yeah, uh, Sanders. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. I'm not, I'm not, remember. I'm not happy at, at the rest of how Facebook deals with uh, everything, but uh, you know, it was a good book, and a lot of women really liked it. Um, but you speak with a lot of different stories to the first part. You've got part one, the origin stories. Eve, Pandora, she's got the whole world in her hand. Listening to Cassandra, the spell of Galatia, Galatea, Galatea. I flunked Greek uh, history or wherever that comes from. <laughs> I flunked everything. Uh, uh, the greatest books, know her name, and leaving the cave. Um, and so you tell all of these as, I, I guess, sort of a metaphor to help people kind of understand some of these stories and, and expectations or way people maybe reflect on themselves. Yeah. And also, you know, we're seeing this right now with the whole uh, what's going on with race in our country. Like, there's a story in America that allowed us to enslave people. And that story was white supremacy. Um, it, it just is at the core of America. You know, it's like, how else could you rip people from their homeland and, and beat them into subservience? You'd have to believe in a story of, of that white people are better and black people are there to serve us. If you don't know that story, it's hard to put yourself in the, in the shoes of other people. So we have to know our story as Americans. And I think for women and men to know these old stories and to know that Eve still lives in us, Galatea, which is the story of the the um, sculptor Pygmalion, thought all women were dirty. Their bodies were full of sin. And he just didn't want anything to do with them. And he decided to be celibate. And he locked himself in his studio and started building a statue of a gorgeous woman. And the gods were so pleased with him for finally creating a pure Madonna-type woman who had no sin, that they, they had her come to life. And she was Galatea. And I feel women carry with us that idea that there's something wrong with our body. We're not supposed to want pleasure. Um, we have to look a certain way. We have to be tiny and thin and quiet. And if we're not that, you know, women carry a lot of shame in our bodies. And um, that old story really helped me. I got to see like, wow, this has been going on a long time that women have been you know, held up as on the one hand, we're the Madonna. And on the other hand, there's something like wrong about our bodies. So I like knowing the old stories. They make me feel not so alone or like it's all my fault. 
I would agree with you too. Like I had some Muslim friends and, uh, and uh, one of my friends, she would tell, she told me one time about how when they go to church, if she's on her period, she's deemed as disgusting, filthy, you know, all these horrible Correct. words. And she's not allowed to pray. There's the, let them go to church, but there's like a special section for them in the back. And it's buried. And, and, and over my time of being an atheist, I've really studied this. And, and, and I know most of your book isn't about religion and all that sort of good stuff, but it's about some of these stories and, and some of these, uh, these belief systems that we have. And, and I was just, I was just blown away. I'm like, really? They make, and she was fine with it. She was cool. But, but I'm like, why do you accept that? Because to me, what, what all of our bodies do, I mean, there's not a lot of pretty things all of us don't do as a, as a human <laughs> body, but, but you know, that's, that's who we are as humans. We, should, we just go, okay, well, you know, that's how humans work. You know, that's what, I mean, women, whatever women are going through, they bring forth life. They bring forth uh, human life. Without them, our species would go dead. I mean, we're, we're screwed if we, if we lose the women and women's ability to reproduce. We're, we're, we're just like, uh, yeah, it's over, man. And yeah, so- I once um, proposed to someone. I had gone, I've, I'd gone through the uh, walk in Central Park and noticed how most of the statues, all of the statues, were men, either war generals or soldiers, one young soldier carrying a bleeding other soldier in World War One and World War Two statues and General Sherman on a golden horse and everything was about war and warriors. And I said something to someone associated with the park. I'm like, hey, why don't you have a statue of a woman giving birth and the baby coming out and blood? And they were like, that's disgusting. I'm like, well, what? Why is it not disgusting to have a statue of a bleeding guy who's dying, and the statue of a bleeding woman who's giving life? Like, I'm not saying we should do this, but don't you see the irony here that we 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 like worship death? Mm-hmm. What, what's what is that all about? Who does? Why is almost every statue all over the world of warriors? Well, I don't understand. Could you? Do you? Uh, Well, it's a male-dominant society that goes back to the military. You know, uh, I think maybe the best way I can describe it is is a few years ago, I I, I actually sat down and looked at the photo of the congressional thing. I'm like, why do we have all these wars? Why, why, you know, we spent $8 trillion or something like that in Iraq. We're a broke country now. Most people don't realize in debt. And, you know, war after war. And I started looking at the congressional leaders, and I'm like, Oh man, it's a bunch of white guys like me. You know, I, I'm I'm from in the club. I know what's going on. I'm calling from the house. Uh, <laughs> I know how we are, and uh, for hopefully, I've become a little bit more enlightened over the years uh, and less toxic masculinity. But I, I looked at that picture and I went, "That's not how America looks. That should be fifty percent women." And it should be a mix of people. It's all white. So in 2018, before the election, I started pounding the book, my social media, and to my audience and stuff, that I'm voting all female. And the reason I'm doing that is because women are more introspective than men. They have more empathy than men. They can multitask better than men. They can multitask. Men can't really multitask. Um, They can can do so much more. And they they care about children. They care about education. They care about the future. I know how men are. We're just like, hey, we got to make some money and we got to fight. (laughs) Yeah, let's go do that. Uh, 
know how we are. You should go on my book tour. Could you please sure, go on yeah, my book tour? Sure. Let's go on this together. I need your voice in this. <laughs> it, it, it's true. I mean, I just know. I I know how we are. But but so I voted uh, all women down the ticket, and I vote. I said I'm voting 100. I think I published my ballot, and I I've talked about this before. Uh, even like it judges and stuff. Like even if they didn't have a party, I was like, yeah, all women, just women, 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 women. And uh, we elected in Nevada uh, the largest legislature of women that yes, we've ever been you did. Yes. yes, you did. I don't know if it was just me, but I was talking about it, so maybe I helped. Um, but that legislative body has been created some of the best things uh, that I've ever seen come out of a legislature, really? in my opinion. Uh, education, uh, women's health, health care. Uh, everything for the future of Nevada. They've, you know, they're they're not sitting around in Nevada going, "Who can we start a war with?" <laughs> you know, um, you know this kind of crap. They're 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 doing stuff about the future. Women care about children. There's a reason women are the caretakers of children because men are good at. You know, we're good at going out and. Do you think things. men can learn how to be good at it? Now, women, yeah, you know, yeah. women learned stuff we just did not know. You know, I felt it in my own life when I started entering the business world and I had to start looking at spreadsheets and thinking about budgets. It was like the gears going like this. And I wanted to, though. I wanted to. I needed to. I needed to have a job. Do you think men can want and need to change enough so that and they can stop caring that that's emasculating to become more emotionally intelligent. And do you think men can, do you think they will? I, th- I think men can and will, if they're willing, uh, like you say, uh, you know, we can all learn new, new skills. Uh, I think there will be some limits to men though. There's, there's something innate in women's brains that make you guys multitask. I don't think we can ever learn that. I mean, I, th- I think that's something you guys are just, that's genetic to you guys. Uh, we can, we just suck at multitasking. Well, you know, my husband is a good case in point. He ended up uh, when his son was four, he became his main parent. He got divorced and he was the main parent. And he said that the uh, sort of enforced intimacy and the having to both work and parent and do everything at the same time just felt so painful and difficult. But over the years, he had to develop some skills that included multitasking and the things that women have had to develop because of the Mm -hmm. roles we were put into for nature or nurture, I don't care, whatever. Um, I think men could if men, you know, there's that joke, how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? One but the light bulb has to want to change. <laughs> it's, so, it's possible. I could be wrong. I don't know. I like mean, what if it was, what if you decided that the very best thing is to be more caring and to multitask? Like that's it, man. That's what makes a hero. I'm going to learn that. Maybe you could. I, I, I don't know. I now the caring part, the empathy, the being more human, getting in touch with the uh, what some people call the feminine side, but sometimes they they use that as a as a looking down term. But getting getting into that that more yin and yang feminine part of your side, getting yeah, the, more, feeling the feeling function, the feeling function, 
And I think we can get there. I think we can get a lot of stuff. Uh, one of the other things I think that women have that men don't have is you guys. You guys have a microscopic, molecular look at dirt, and and, and <laughs> you guys can see stuff that we can't see. Bullshit! I call bullshit. Really? You, I don't want to see that stuff. I've had to see that but stuff. But you can so see I it. Know we how. can't. We yes, can. you can. No, I, That's I gotta a tell you cop that. I gotta out. Tell you. Clean that toilet. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe it's a focus thing that we just need more to focus. But you don't want to. Who would want to? Well, I don't know. I've had girlfriends sit down with me, and I go, "Can you see that there?" And I go, "I can't." What, what are you? And I, I, I've been trying, and I go, I, "I can't see the molecular." I really think that sometimes women are given these gifts genetically because, because they have to make a clean nest for their for their children. They have to make sure there's not bacteria and different things like that. I don't know. I could be wrong. That's... <laughs> I don't know either. I we just all work to be better, right? <laughs> yes. We all can work to be better. Yeah. Yes, we can. It and, is and... not a zero sum game here. Yeah. I just think women are better than men. That's my opinion. I don't think so. I don't I think do. that at all. I, I think, think you guys are better people than we are. Well, uh, I don't, but I think we we are we all complete a puzzle, but if we allow the the, the female nature to be as uh, if we dignify it and make it as valid as the male, then we'll just help each other out. We'll become more whole, all of us. Rising tide lifts all boats. Correct. So in the second part of your book, you get into power stories. And these are stories, I'll go through some of the uh, titles here. The Old Story of Power, Women, Power in the Shadow, Scars, and Praise of Fathers, Doing Power Differently, the First first Responders. Uh, there's something I think in uh, French here, I won't bother trying to uh, kill me. <laughs> uh, a Day Without War Metaphor and a Revolution of Values. Tell us a little bit about what you get into in the second part of your book. Well, um, one of my sons went to a college called St. John's College, and it's this great book school. They read a hundred books in the original languages for four years. That's all they do. And um, they call it the dead white man uh, curriculum. And I went down into my basement one day, like when I, when I start writing a book, I try to find every reason not to write the book, you know, and, and cleaning. Now I'm going to contradict myself from our last conversation about cleaning toilets. Cleaning is something I love to do instead of writing. So the minute I start writing, I'm like, oh, my God, must clean car or must go in the basement and organize those boxes down there. So as I was starting to write this book, I went down in the basement so as not to write the book. And there was a box of books from my son's college. And it was a box filled with books about power and leadership, going all the way back to Sun Tzu in China, the art of war, and Machiavelli, the prince. All sorts of books, about 50 of them. And I started reading them in the basement. And I was shocked. I was amazed. I felt so naive because there was actually a uh, a method to the madness of of male abuse of power. You know, like Machiavelli, it's better to be feared than to be loved. And every book had to do with war. Leadership and war were sort of, they were the same thing. It was all about domination, fear, uh 
win-lose, never, no, could never just be win-win. It always was win-lose. And so um, I decided to make the whole second part of the book be about how these stories about what it means to be heroic and powerful is just one side of the, the coin. There are other ways to, to lead, to be powerful, uh, to share power. So I go into lots of old stories about that. And probably a lot of men should read that part as well, because uh, there was another quote I think I saw in one of the videos I did research on uh, from Machiavelli that wasn't very uh, very good towards women, if I recall rightly. <laughs> no, it was something like, you know, fortune is like a woman, and in order to always gain your fortune, you must beat her. Something like that. Wow. Uh, and that was just That's one. That's not cool. I, I have, there's... But, you know, of course we don't go around knowing that that's in us, but it's in us. Yeah. And it's good to read it and to think, oh, that's how we got into this mess. Okay, let's write some new stories about how power could be brokered. And I'm like, I'm into, uh, somebody needs to be leading, someone needs to be the authority. I'm not, like, into chaos and, uh, but... Uh, there are ways to lead that don't involve the maxim, uh, it's better to be feared than to be loved. Yeah. I think and you can I, lead with love. And I really think, you know, we, we, we need to identify what you're talking about, where we don't live in this caveman medieval society anymore. We live in a world where we don't have to worry about women getting attacked by like I said, people on horses and RVs and, you know, stuff like this. We live in a very sanitized sort of uh, life. And so it, it, it's time to address, and hopefully Me Too and your book and uh, different other things that we could learn from, uh, we'll kind of open our minds to start going, mm, you know, we've had some discussions on the show. Some authors have written about toxic masculinity, uh, sexism, of course, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and there are different things where we have to try and learn to balance uh uh, what's going on inside uh, men. Um, you know, there's lots of things that men can really learn, how, how to cry, how to be better in touch with their emotions. I think women are, I think women are better in touch with their emotions. Um, they're, they, they're steeped more deeply in motion than, than we But, are, you know, I just want to put a plug in for how hard it also is to be a man right now in these times. And mm -hmm. I go into this a lot in the book about how, we're all still functioning under these old stories. So women, we ask our men like to be more sensitive, to be more talkative, to share the vulnerabilities. But we're still looking in many ways for our men to be strong warriors. And so we kind of like screw with men's heads. It's like, be soft, be open, be kind, be communicative, be vulnerable. But it scares us. Because we're still under the influence of men should always be strong and men shouldn't cry and men shouldn't show their weakness. I don't want you to be weak. I need you to be strong. So women have a lot of work to do, too, to like if we want our men to be more balanced and just like we want to be both strong and soft, they do, too. We got to own up to the mixed messages we give and work on ourselves. Yeah, you know, I would agree with you. And that's the first time I've heard that from that perspective. Uh, and, and I'm learning from that. 
Um, you know, that's the challenge I always have as a man because, you know, women always want you as their protector. You're, you're the guy who moves her, uh, as you're walking down the street, you move her from the street to the, to the walk so that you would get hit by the car first. You know, a lot of the chauvinistic stuff, uh, you know, it's important that people like, but then, but then, you know, she wants you to show your feelings, but if you do, she might attack you for being weak sometimes, Right. you know, and, and you're just like, wow, what, which way do you want it? But I think, like you say, everybody's got to work on this. Uh, so let me ask you this. The way a lot of these stories and narratives play, a lot of people don't think about, but I think also it plays in our male-dominant society and like advertising. Uh, like they talk about how especially young women are really affected by our advertising. Much of it's very sexist. Much of it uh, puts forth this ideal woman that that – I think one time they, they tried to figure out if they could make a Barbie into a woman. It's not possible. because mm, uh, Right, right. Anatomically right. impossible. Yeah. And, and, but, but young girls grow up with this, and, and they see the advertising. They see these stories, and, and then you know, they're, they're left with this introspection. I think women are more introspective than we are. Um, and one question I had for you is, I, I, and this came from watching a lot of your videos uh, and was I a long time uh, recently, uh, a few years ago, I, I became aware of self ego and uh, mm-hmm. Eckhart Tolle and it kind of saved me from the edge that I was on at the time. Nice. Uh, and, but I'm, I'm wondering now if women just aren't in more touch with their, their ego and maybe that's why they suffer some more, more self criticism. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm asking you that. Yeah, well, there's a beautiful passage in Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth, about women and the ego. You might want to go back and read it. It's so fascinating. I've done a lot of work with him. I helped Oprah produce uh, a a webinar that was watched by many, many millions of people with him and Oprah. Have you ever watched that conversation? It's really worth watching. I'll look it up on the... It's a 10-part series. So I've spent a lot of time in his work. And um, men and women uh, suffer from over-identification with the ego. I mean, this is a whole other subject. If you want to have me on the show again, we can talk all about the ego. Because the 